Kia ora and welcome to the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival podcast, where our guests provide awesome tactics and insights to help move your business towards its aspirations. Kia ora, my name is Craig Murray and this is episode number 14 of the Smeet and E Festival podcast. Today we have Stu Hartley on the show and we are going to be focusing on insurance, specifically event-based insurance. So Stu heads up a company called Event Cover and we're going to be talking about all things event-related and insurance. So without further ado, I'm going to bring in Stu to the stream. Kia ora, how you go, man? Good, man. How are you? I am very well. Coming from the not-so-sunny Rotorua today in New Zealand, North Island. Whereabouts are you based? I'm in the uh, city of Sales, Auckland. Everything on this podcast is going to be about an event-based insurance, what to look out for, and and you're obviously the expert in that space, and we're going to be asking you a whole bunch of questions. But before we go into that, I would like to ask you what your first ever job was. So, I mean, your first ever job, not career whether you're seven or eight or ten, pocket money, whatever it is. And then if you could just roll into a bit of your professional career, where where you started, what you did, and then um, where you are now. So uh, first job. Well, I'm from I'm from Manchester, um, back in the UK. And I believe I believe my first job was around about 16, 17. I was uh, I was in college and I think I was stacking shelves in like a Kind of like a supermarket type of type of setup in the local um, the local mall there, so that that lasted me through college just to get a few you know a few a few pounds for some beers. Um, yeah, that was my that was my intro into the into the working world. Really, um, it was pretty cool actually. You know, started work at five and finished at finished at eight in the evening. Um, pretty cruisy, pretty cruisy, and um, yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, enjoyed it. Cool. And then you would have you went to university or university, and you moved into a career job. So, what was your first ever career-based professional job? And then, how did you get to where you are now? So, obviously, I was at I was at college training to be an actor um, oh. and focus on the media side as well. And I did a couple of years acting, which I which I loved, which was kind of my passion when I was younger. And then I went to went to university for three years, uh, Manchester again, and swapped the swapped in front of the camera to behind the camera. So I've got a I've got a um, an honours degree in television production. So I was um, I was behind the camera, focusing as a kind of a director, cameraman type of setup. Um, and then I moved down to to London to the Big Smoke to to follow my to follow my dream really started working in in tv and film down there had a couple of years as a uh, as a cameraman working at the house of parliament filming the filming the filming the proceedings there and the company that i used to work for was um like an outside broadcast type of company they they had the contracts for f1 grand prix uh, premier league football a lot of the sports, uh, a lot of the music the, festivals, the big ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I kind of, kind of cut my teeth in London, um, but then it, it kind of just became too expensive, really. You know, for a kind of a youngster, early twenties, to try and make their way in, in London. So moved back up to Manchester with my girlfriend at the time and fell into insurance. 
really just needed a just needed a job to to pay the mortgage we just bought a house together and um wasn't really getting the wasn't really getting the breaks in tv um really really hard kind of industry to to kind of forge your way into a lot of backstabbing which didn't really which didn't really sit kind of well with myself so fell into the wonderful glorious uh glorious insurance and uh and and here i am today which is kind of a, an amalgamation of you know arts entertainment um and insurance so that's that's why i kind of how i ended up here so your first insurance job was that in the event space or was it a typical sort of insurance job for vehicles or housing or what was yeah it? yeah it was very it's very it was kind of sme based it was kind of new business um right. it was kind of a it was, it was very much sme and that was back in the uk and i moved to i moved to new zealand in 2011 and started working in the insurance industry in nz just after the christchurch earthquake um didn't have any didn't have any kind of desire to get back into insurance when i came to nz to be honest I chose NZ because I really wanted to go back into the, you know, the film industry off the back of, you know, the, the, the huge, huge industry that had been created in NZ. I really thought this was the place that I was going to come. And then, and then Christchurch hit and they were crying out for people with, with industry experience. So fell back into insurance really in NZ and always had that passion to kind of bring my love. You know, insurance is dull as batshit. There's no getting around it. It's not the most glamorous industry in the world. And my passion was always kind of film, TV, arts, entertainment. So I kind of wanted to bring that together. And that's that's really how Event Cover started. Um, event Cover started four years ago. But prior to that, I was really focusing on that, that kind of event space. I've been working in the event space, um, focusing on the insurance side for about, about 10 years now. Um, and really, really pulled, you know, made the made the decision to kind of go alone about four years ago. So can you give our audience a bit of an overview about event cover, what it does and how it could benefit any small business or any person really that is looking at managing or hosting an event? Yeah, so I got I had the idea to set up event cover, as I said, just coming up to four years. And there was a real desire in New Zealand at the time to, to have somebody on the ground in NZ who understood the industry um, mm. and understood the risks which go alongside, you know, running an event. And prior to that, it was a kind of a misunderstood type of type type of coverage. A large proportion of events in New Zealand probably were, were underinsured or were not insured at all. And even if they were insured, they probably had to go overseas to London. They had to to struggle to try and find someone who understood what they were talking about, what the risks, what the inherent risks were of, of an event. So we set up Event Cover four years ago. Our entire focus is events. And we cover anything from your ma and pa market stall on a, on a, on a Saturday morning to large-scale events such as, you know, the America's Cup, AFB Classic Tennis, um, multitude of, of festivals throughout the summer. And you know, primarily we're ensuring the risk of that event being cancelled. And mm -hmm. there's so many things that can go wrong, as you know, mate, with, a, with an event. Uh, it's very, very hard to, to kind of mitigate those losses unless you actually transfer that risk over to an insurer. And that's where we step in. You know, we, we take on that risk if, for example, the event gets cancelled due to, to adverse weather, 
earthquake, you know, something on those lines. Second so event, could an event organizer come to you for public liability and that type of insurance, or are you only really doing focused on the the risk of the event cancelling or something happening that was not planned? Well, our main focus is is just trying to understand the risks of the event. So the big the big ticket insurance is, is the cancellation, and that always will be. But most of the time, events will just come to us because they do need the public liability. You know, they're having a small event in a town hall, and the local council requires them to carry public liability. And what 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 we found was people don't really know where to go. You know, how do we how do they go and get a day's insurance? So we do we do really bespoke short term cover, um, you know, a couple of hundred bucks, um, purchase online, really really quick and easy, and. You know that's that's kind of our bread and butter type of business because you know a lot of those SMEs and those small those small businesses that run maybe a couple of events per year um, don't necessarily have an annual insurance policy in place. So I don't really know where to start. Then we can we can quite easily just cover them for a for a day's insurance if if need be if there's a requirement. But yeah, the big the, the big stuff is more the is more the cancellation or the or the light, the large scale, you know, prize insurance type risks, you know, the million dollar giveaways, that type of stuff. Um, they're the they're the kind of big ticket items where we really get our our hands dirty with, and you know, allows us to work on those large scale stuff. But yeah, most of our businesses is is the is the SME type businesses, um, you know, that are running small local regional events. So, what type of event cover is there? If you could categorize it into um, is there tickets, travel, artists, or talent? How does it work? Really, the guts of it is covering what your what your loss would be. Um, so that could be, you know, you've spent a million dollars on an event, or you've spent, you know, ten grand on an event, and a loss of that nature, whether it's a million dollars or ten grand, can you know can put a business out of out, out of business. So what we'll do is we'll either cover your your costs of running that event should that event get cancelled, you know, and we'll effectively the claim is is to give you back your irrecoverable losses, um, or for some of the large scale stuff, it's it's the net profit that you would have earned had that event not been cancelled, and again that can move into the millions of dollars on the on the large scale events, and that mostly covers you know refund of tickets. You know you kind of want to be in a good position to be able to refund your ticket holders, um, but at the same time you want to you want to protect the money that's in the bank and yeah so there's so, so so there's many many things that you can cover for an event um you know non-appearance of your main artist for example uh, the artist getting sick um earthquake cancellation we saw off the back of you know in the south island terrorism terrorism's a new one for us we saw that off the back of christchurch uh, adverse weather's the big one you know new zealand goes through you know four seasons in one day so <laughs> it's it's really really worrying sometimes that you know, you could just have a, a, a deluge in the morning and you could lose your event due to it being washed out. And that could, you know, that could be millions of dollars down the pan. So it, it, it really, uh, it really pays to understand what the risk is of the event um, or take a macro approach and just, you know, cover, cover every eventuality because, you know, you, ne you never really know what's going to happen with events. I've got a proposed plan for an event in Rotorua where I'm based. And in my risk management assessment, one of the potential issues or risks is a geyser randomly shooting up in the middle of a field, because it could happen. 
because of the location where yeah, yeah. The, um, the, the festival venue is, is like, well, what do we do if this happens? A geyser shoots up, or the, the, something starts, to, some sort of geothermal activity. Yeah, we know what we know. What we'll do as a team to cover it and make it make sure everyone's safe and and well. But then, if that impacts the actual the event going ahead or changing the event or delaying the event, then we need to try and consider that. So there's, yeah, like you said, there's there's different types of risk for all different types of events and locations of where you are as well. It is. I mean, the 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 biggest. We don't often get, you know, what's the what's the main question you get asked? And that's obviously at the moment COVID. But aside from that, we get a lot of event producers, promoters who come to us with exactly what you've just said, you know. <laughs> We've got this really weird thing that could happen. We've got this kind of, you know, geyser that could go off. And we're like, cool. You know, we'll look at the geothermal activity of the local area. We'll weigh up that risk. You know, we've got some ridiculous amounts of data that we that we underwrite, you know, statistics and stuff like that. The most amazing weather data available on earth is at our fingertips so you know there could be so many different things you know forest fires for mountain biking events and so forth you know the time of year is is really key to how these events can run um ash clouds um as i said you know communicable disease and, and covid is the main question at the moment um but every event is different and you really need to you know sit down and understand that type of event uh, and the only people that know that event more than anyone is the is the people running the events so it really, it really pays to to invest ourselves in the industry. And I certainly don't regard myself as working in insurance anymore. Um, mm. I'm a I'm a supplier to the events industry, and that 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 kind of breaks down those barriers a little bit when you actually understand the industry that you're that you're supplying or you know providing a service to, because you're kind of breaking those boundaries in respect of you know being on the same page. Could you give us a very sort of ballpark figure of what an event cover might cost for, let's say, okay, I run mountain bike races. Normally they have over 500 people in them. Let's say if I want to cover it for adverse weather conditions where the wind gets to uh, 90 k's per hour, which means that we can no longer access the forest. What sort of cost would that be um, to, to cover that sort of risk? It's it's a difficult question because we I knew you was gonna ask it, mate. Um, <laughs> we, we underwrite purely based on on statistical data. So we'll look at yep. what is the probability of 90 kilometers an hour happening in that in that particular area. And we'll do that based on, as I said earlier, um, the most unbelievable weather data. So we'll take we'll take weather data from the nearest weather station and we've got access to every single weather station in the world. And we'll look at historical 80 years worth of data. And that'll give us a probability of what's going to happen in the future. And then we'll also run advanced statistical data as well, whereby we'll look at similar years to, to this year, again, based on historical data. And that'll give us a, a more of a, a snapshot of what, you know, we purely believe the, the weather data will be. And we'll look at, you know, what the trigger for cancellation is. So you'll come to us and you'll say, hey, Stu, uh, our event can proceed rain or shine. However, if it starts getting up to you know uh, 75k between 75k and 90, it just becomes really dangerous because we've got the you know we've got the the you know, the, the tree fall issues and the um, you know it it's just we'll be kicked out of the forest effectively. Um, we'll we'll kind of pinpoint it to that probability, which is which is a, a a huge step from where we were previously, and it was just kind of you know 
how much did we used to charge for mountain bike events? Um, where now we can look at it purely based on the weather data, um, which is, you know, more often than not pretty, pretty solid. And we'll make a call based on, based on that. So that's, that, that purely drives the, 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 the premium. So it's a, it's a really bespoke, um, cover based on, based on what you're doing. Um, so it can be, you know, it could be cheap as 600 bucks, um, but if it's a if it's a higher risk, you know, obviously it's going to be it's going to be higher. People are quite surprised how cheap it can be. Um, the mindset is is often you know it's very expensive. It's it's just something we've never budgeted for, we've never had previously. But when you actually start to look at it, you know, you you then start to to change the opinion of people in respect of well, you know, is it is it worth the risk or can we can we just transfer that over to Stu and you know Stu and event cover takes the takes the hit. Um, more often than not, it's it's quite easy to um, to persuade them. It must scale based on how big the event is. So an event like, as an example, Rhythm and Vines have just had to, they've just had to move into April 2022 from New Year's Eve, which is a massive, would have yeah, been huge. a massive, yeah, huge, huge decision. So with that, they would have a lot of ticket holders who would have already booked in their accommodation and all that sort of stuff. And then this, like, I can't afford to go. I want to get rid of my ticket. Yep. Would, would you ensure yep. for that? Because there was nothing, well, I suppose there was, the risk for that one is that it's, we're working within the traffic light framework at the moment. So it's unlikely that that part of the country was going to move into an orange light. Mm. So they were like, well, let's just cut our losses. And also there was a risk to the community as well, I think. So they, yeah. they took the, yeah. they made a decision to move into April or whenever Easter is next year. Yeah. Um, so do you cover for that sort of thing? Yeah, everything everything's taken into account. Again, we'll just use that as a really good example because it's kind of live and everyone's kind of aware of that now. So, you know, Rhythm and Binds, to be honest, was always going to be, you know, hit or miss whether it was going to go ahead. And I think a large part of the government stepping up and putting that scheme in place was was to protect an event of that scale. Um, you mm -hmm. certainly don't want to see a Rhythm and Binds type event, you know, drop off the face of the earth. Because it, it provides such, you know, kind of benefits to the local, such economic kind of benefits to the local community. So, um, an event of that nature, you would always be looking at: does it have the ability to be able to reschedule? And what 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 is the loss in order to do that? So there may be additional costs that you know to move it over there. Um, and again, going back to a, mount, a mountain biking event, you know, how much would it cost you to move it to the following weekend, for example? And we would cover those additional costs, and that just might be extra marketing costs, um, you know, extra staffing costs. Um, you know, it, it might be a minimal cost, but, you know, an extra 20 grand is, is, is quite a, a large hit. So, you know, we'll cover those those mitigation costs in order to save the event and make sure it goes ahead. So we'll, we'll always look into, you know, can the event be rescheduled? Um, when, when can that event be rescheduled? What additional costs are there? We'll cover those additional costs as well. So it can be, it can get quite complex, but as you know, mm -hmm. as you know, you know, running an event is, is, you know, really, really complex and, and there's many, many things that can go wrong and there's many, many different scenarios of which could happen. It could be, it could be curtailed. It could be, it could be postponed. It could be rescheduled. It could be, it could be canceled. Um, many things could happen and, it, and everything kind of builds into how much it costs. So Rhythm and Vines, for example, let's just put a figure on it. You know, it costs $5 million to run. Um, it would be $5 million multiplied by the rate that we've applied to it. Again, rate would be dictated from the risk. 
um, and then that would equal your equal your premium. So often, you know, smaller events are cheaper. Um, again, but it really depends on what the what the risk is of that event being cancelled. You know, a rain or shine event which has got no chance of being cancelled due to the rain, really, really good risk, unless it becomes ridiculously dangerous. Um, again, but those are the those are the things that we weigh up. So the question that I suppose you don't want me to ask you, but I'm going to ask anyway, is in regards to pandemic-based insurance and SNAP alert level changes, which means that it's you, it's actually you're unable to manage an event. Like, is it, and also at the moment, unless your event is 50 or le- people or less, mm. you can't really do an event. And for our team anyway, none of our events are, are below 500 people. Yep. So can you can we ensure based on that, or have you got a risk model of that, or is, or is there not enough of a tail to be able to actually forecast the risk? Or it's um, as of March, so March twenty twenty hit. Yep. that was when the the World Health Organization effectively um, declared it a a pandemic, and at that stage it became what's what what we refer to as a as a known event. So insurance is always, you know, you're insuring the the unknown, um, and you're ensuring the, you know, the risk of something happening. But if it's already happening, you're effectively trying to insure a house and it's on fire. <laughs> and at that stage, all the insurers around the world stopped offering uh, communicable disease cover. And communicable disease is, is by definition, um, kind of a pathogen that can be passed between animal and animal, or human animal, or, or animal and animal, and you know whatever. So as of 2020, no one was insuring communicable disease. And again, uh, as of today, there's still very, very limited and virtually zero availability of commercial insurance to cover a a pandemic or a lockdown or anything of of that nature. Also, what we found back in March 2020 was last year was was a huge year for events. You know, we had some, you know, we had the Olympics. um, We had some huge music festivals in the U.S., we had Wimbledon, for example, which was a which was a, a huge one in the press, whereby they all had already taken out communicable disease cover. So what we found was there was the largest losses that we'd ever seen in insurance globally. You know, we were talking billions of dollars of losses because these events had, had, had taken out insurance already for a scenario of this nature. And what that meant was there was no longer any capacity available um, in the insurance market get out of Lloyd's, out of Lloyd's of London, which is the which is the largest marketplace for insurance. And so you've got you've got no interest in writing it, you've got no availability, and then you've got a lot of businesses who have gone out of business because they've lost all this money from from paying out all, all these claims. So it's been a very, very, very tricky, you know, coming up to almost two years now, trying to reintroduce that level of cover. Um, but what we've done here in NZ is it's been, you know, we've we've been really lucky whereby our numbers in comparison with anywhere else in the world are are not even on any any kind of scale you know we're not even in the ballpark of um of having a pandemic really when you look at it in comparison so we've always been very very lucky nz's probably going to be the first country that'll that'll be able to reintroduce it uh, it's been really really good to see that the government has stepped up and offered some level of you know kind of cover coverage um albeit very focused on you know summer festivals and the you know the large scale events um whether whether they have to pay out on that who knows they've had to pay out on ribbon and vines which is probably one of their main focuses anyway uh but it it, it still leaves probably 95 percent of the events industry uninsured and that's what we're 
really, really, really trying to bring back into the market. You know, we're trying to reintroduce um, some level of cover, touch wood. You know, we're having daily conversations. We're very, very close to being able to do it. I've said kind of watch this space for the last couple of weeks now, but we are pretty close to be able to bring something back, which hopefully that should be, you know, real comfort for, for, for smaller SME type businesses who run events. You know, can't can't afford to can't afford to have a you know another snap lockdown or a or a nationwide um, you know lockdown which will which will cause the cancellation. So, fingers crossed, we're pretty close to being able to bring it back. But as of today, pretty much nothing available really. Because if, if you think about a, an, an event, these social events which are like the rhythm and vines or festivals or this you know the. Um, whatever those type and there's there's mm. hundreds of them there's probably thousands of them yeah. over the summertime yeah. in new zealand and some of them range from small to you know 80 120 150 people mm. there might be a degustation meal right up to the big scale ones which are like the northern base up in Bangaday mm. or yeah. Yeah. or bay dreams or whatever that whatever they are. but there's also the the business events so business events where i'm talking more about conferences and there's a number of associations around New Zealand that rely on these events as a revenue revenue source for the sponsorship, the exhibitors, the delegates, and everything. Like that. And it hasn't happened for the last, or some of them, some of the unlucky associations have been unable to host these events, and they have had a massive loss. Mm. So it'll be a huge, it'll be hugely valuable for the business event sector to have some sort of cover on this as well because you can't travel in it, it just makes it up everything is going virtual um yeah. which is fine yeah. but um and, and that might be the way that it will be moving forward and then when we uh, this will be another podcast but when we go get into the web 3.0 and in the metaverse the um um the physical events will be very very yeah. different because yeah. there'll be a combination of two but and saying that there's the business events uh, conferences conventions trade yeah. shows those types of things. There's um, significant birthdays, weddings, or significant occasions like fiftieths, mm. fortieth, twenty-first, whatever they might be. So there's cover for those. So there's all sorts of different funerals as well, I suppose, as well. Yeah, we've we've. So I've been. I mean, me and Lisa Hopkins from from business events uh, Aotearoa. We've over the course of probably they say eighteen months, we've probably spoken to each other four or five times a week. You know, mm. sometimes four or five times a day. Our, our real focus has been trying to cover the business event sector who have just been absolutely decimated by this because um, on paper, there's been no support whatsoever. And, you know, as you was kind of alluding to there, it's, it's more than just the event, whether it's a large scale event or a small scale event, it's the, it's the, it's the ripple effect of that event. You know, mm -hmm. some of these business events, the amount of money that they bring into the local economy through just the fact that, you know, taxi drivers rely on, on event of that nature, you know, how many hotel rooms are, are booked out from a large scale conference, you know, an ex, ex, exhibition. It's those types of events that we really need to, that we've really been focusing on, in all honesty. Uh, and, ho and hopefully, as I said, we should be able to, we should be able to uh, provide some level of assistance for those because at the moment there's, there's just no support and they've not been, they've not been looked after by the government in respect of the scheme. You know, the scheme covers, you know, 5,000 people and above type of events. Which just doesn't doesn't cater for these. Um, well, there's, there's well, no business event in, no, in New Zealand no. that's five thousand people. No, no. There's I mean, no you start looking at the large scale, um, you know, expos and um, 
you know, the food shows and those types of things. Mm. And, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of in the middle ground, but again, they, they're still not accounted for in this, in this cover. But again, at the same time, we're, we're focused on, you, you mentioned them weddings. We've, we've, we were the only provider up until March, 2020 of wedding insurance um, in New Zealand. You know, wedding cover was a, another brand of ours and that was covering, you know, your standard wedding insurance, which in New Zealand, nobody knows, nobody understood. No one was even aware existed. And unfortunately that, that was the product that kind of uh, lost its way some somewhat and we had to put that into hibernation. But the last six months we've been absolutely inundated with people trying to get insurance for, for their weddings and their funerals and, you know, their, their small kind of public gatherings. I think the focus has changed and the mentality has changed whereby people are just aware of risk, which from mm. my perspective is a, is a fantastic thing, you know. Um, and you've mentioned it as well there. You know, we're now moving to the virtual, the virtual event. And that just adds its own risk. You know, what happens if you lose your live stream? What happens if we were able to run the event because of, you know, cybercrime and stuff like that? So risk is, you know, we like to say that risk is omnipresent, um, but we just keep on adding to that. And, and you know, communicable disease, pandemic, COVID was one. Now we've got the virtual risks, which are now being thrown in there as well. It's just ever-changing. My former job was in the business event space. As an example, based here in Otsurua, I was working in that in that space for about six, seven years. So a domestic tourist, a domestic delegate brings in about $465 per day to, to any region where, they, where they're traveling to. And Otsurua alone over the winter period, which is the off-peak tourism period, was hosting about 120,000 room nights, which is about $50 million economic impact. To the city that's just pretty much just gone which makes it even harder for like you talked about the ripple effect there's the there's the venues but then there's the caterers and all the supply chain that that helps the the caterers you know, the, the people who supply the eggs the free-range chickens the the ham the milk the everything the baristas that need to be there the the people who delivered the stuff to the courage or oh, courage drivers are doing reasonably well at the moment mm. there's a massive effect yeah. So it's not just the event, yeah. it's the communities as well, which, which are struggling. And the tourism sector is another one where obviously we don't have any tourists come. Off-peak winter period is when business events is normally really busy and they quite often use the tourist activities as part of the conference program for mm. some of the, the cool things that they do outside of the yep. outside of the actual inside the venue. Go and do a Zorb or go and do a mountain bike or go and skyline, go down the luge or go on the tree walk yep. or whatever that might be in Otsurua. Um And that hasn't happened, which is another, it's, it's a massive, yeah. So it's, you can't, you can't ensure it for, is, and it's, you can't ensure for that. And it's, that's what the real, that's what the real sad thing has been. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's all the glamour around the festival and the, the high scale, you know, artists that have struggled to get into the country and whatever. But aside from that, it's it's the it's the business event sector and the ripple effect of that, which is absolutely significant for especially a region like you know like you're in. Um, you know, I was I was there, I was there in winter and it was it was decimated. It was really it was really sad to see uh, an area which is so thriving from from tourism. Pretty pretty sad to see, just pretty empty. Um, and you can see it in the people. You, know, you can see it in when you're speaking to the baristas in the in the hotel and the restaurateurs. It's it's really really sad to see. Hopefully we're we're kind of coming out of the uh, you know around the corner on that. 
today's announcement, you know, hopefully we should start to move into into the orange and, and you know, we should start seeing, you know, hopefully a bit of a change again, but it's entirely reliant on the borders. So, you know, we're not we're not there yet, but um hopefully we're hopefully in the uh, in the home straight. Yeah. So I want to break out of the insurance just for a second, then we'll jump back in. Um, we'll lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> so I ask all of our guests this one question. What brand has had the biggest impact on you in your life? So any brand. And why does that has that brand had an impact on you? That's a hard one, man. I mean, I'm not, I've never been all about the brands. I'm not about the the name and the logo and stuff like that. I've never, I've never really, um, yeah, I've never really subscribed to that. Um, I mean, the biggest, the biggest brand. I was thinking about this when you sent me the questions, and the first one that popped into my head was was my sports team, which is, oh, yeah. which is for me, it's it's the only brand that I have subscribed to, which yeah. is quite interesting. You know, I've never been, I've never been all about the logos and the Gucci's, and you know, I've never been, I've never been a, a Samsung follower or, or an iPhone follower or anything like that. Um, but I've always, I've always stuck true to my to my brand, which was which is my football team back home. Um, and which team? Which team is it? It's a it's a football team called Oldham Athletic. It's a it's oh, one yeah. of the it's one of the lesser known teams in the in the kind of Manchester region, and they've gone from being one of I wouldn't say ever a glamour team. They've always been in the shadow of the Manchester Uniteds and the Manchester Cities and things like that, and they've they've now fallen from grace and they're effectively at the bottom of the of the football ladder. And for them, because I used to I used to work for them before I came to New Zealand. Actually, that was the last job I had in in my kind of um, let's just say my my period of making the decision to move to New Zealand was a pretty great great time. You know, I, I kind of I, I left everything I had and, and came for a new start in New Zealand. But that's, hey, that's another conversation over a beer, mate. But we um, yeah. I used to work for a football team, and I was I was working in the marketing and the and the kind of um, the retail side of it and it was a, it was a very very difficult it's a very very difficult it's very very di- difficult for a a a small sports club who doesn't have any brand presence to create that brand especially in their local their local town um and it was it was like it was like pushing you know a good northern phrase you know pushing shit up a hill it was always you know our backs to the wall constantly um but you're always relying on that on that kind of passion and you're always relying on that pulling those heartstrings of you know people that really follow and embrace that you know through thick and thin through good and bad um we're always kind of stick and that's really the only brand that i've ever subscribed to was my was my football team i don't have a tattoo mm. you know i'm not i'm not i'm not the english um i'm not the english uh, uh hooligan supporter with you know my back is the is the emblem but yeah that's that's really been the the brand that I've always uh, always subscribed to. My father-in-law, he is a Everton fan, very much so. Blue and blue, everything's Everton. He's bought our kids Everton kit with their own names in them. So uh, I, I totally understand there in the in that football sort of space. Um, so let's get back into insurance after that little break. So my next question I want to ask. <laughs> My next question I want to ask is, if you could crystal ball gaze, or where do you see insurance moving and going into the into the next five years? Um, I want to say I want to see insurance kind of lose its stigma of around a an afterthought. I want insurance to be 
at the forefront of people's minds. And probably this has changed it a little bit. I don't want it to be the, the, the doom and gloom. I don't want it to be the, you know, you only start talking about it when something bad's happened. I want it to be very inclusive and, and kind of more understood. Um, I want people to be educated in it a little bit more, especially in the event space where, you know, it's still pretty, it's still pretty unknown. Um, but I want it to be, I want it to be, a, I want it to be kind of digitized and automated. You know, um, insurance could be um, automatically included as part of the ticket. So when that when that ticket is sold, effectively the risk from that, you know, the risk from that revenue is automatically insured. So we're taking we're taking effectively AI and understanding the risk, and then we are we are covering that without going through the rigmarole of you know the underwriting process and the proposal forms and all the information which is sometimes very, very tricky to get hold of because you're, you're a busy man and you're running an event and you don't have time to get all that crap. Um, it's, just, it's just all taken care of. So I'm looking at the next you know, five years that we're looking to really start automating the insurance. Um, mm. And I'm also, looking at, I'm also looking at us trying to push the boundaries of what we, can, you know, what we can insure on a kind of a marketing and increasing that brand. You know, I touched on it very briefly before around the, the, the prize insurance. Um, and that's kind of the really interesting type of insurance. You know, what, what can you insure? You can insure anything. You know, mm. how can sports teams start embracing that kind of, um, like we see in the US, for example, you know, the, the, the high stakes halftime draws and, you know, kick, kicking competitions and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't really do it hugely in New Zealand, um, but we've got the opportunity to do that. We just need to understand it a little bit more uh, and just have more conversations around it as well. What would be your single most valuable piece of advice you would provide an event organizer who, whether they're experienced or not, are based around insurance, what, what would the piece of advice be? Uh, talk to me, really. Just, just have a conversation, you know. We've, uh, we've found over the last four years that it's, it's all about that, that, that connection, all about that conversation and early. You know, have a conversation early because anything could happen you know prior to march 2020 we had no idea that this was around the corner who would have who would have seen this in their in their crystal ball it, it was just it came out of nowhere so you know if if there's a risk then then can we ensure it have that conversation early um it's not always that expensive um if there if there is some wiggle room in the budget then make sure that we can that we can ensure that but yeah have the have that conversation early in respect of how we can how we can transfer that risk of of the event last question what type of content do you consume personally like podcasts social media groups pages what are, what are you into at the moment i'm on a roller coaster man like i go <laughs> i go up and down i i i i'm like a mad pie you know if something's if something's shiny i'll i'll kind of go and listen to it um at the moment it's it's more for me, having gone through this pandemic and, you know, it's been, it's been pretty hard. I'm not going to lie. Like most people, it's been how we can, um, how we can improve our kind of mental well-being. I think that's a, mm. I think that's a huge one, especially for, especially for men who, you know, primarily don't always feel comfortable speaking out about it. Um, that's been a, that's been a real focus, how we can, how we can improve that kind of mental well-being and stability and, and just allowing people, you know, to talk to each other. I think it's. Um, I think the best thing we can do as as blokes is to is to open up, have a chat, uh, you know, check on each other, make sure people are okay. 
And that's the type of stuff that I've been consuming of late, um, just improving, making sure that I'm in the best possible frame of mind for myself, also for my family as well. You know, we've got we've got two young kids, and you know, this is gonna this is gonna affect us all. So, you know, we need to we need to stay strong and we need to be focused. And yeah, that's 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 the type of content that I'm I'm consuming at the moment, which is yeah, which has been really, really good. Really, really good. So the very last thing you mentioned that if anyone has got any questions about how to cover their event, contact you. How do we get a hold of you? Um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a huge one. Uh, you know, Stu Hartley, um, look me up on LinkedIn, he's Jones guy. Um, pretty, uh, pretty vocal on there. So, you know, always, always available to chat. Uh, event cover, www.eventcover.co.nz. Uh, and yeah, I'm pretty much I'm pretty much around. Uh, if you need me, you'll find me. Uh, if you can't find me, ask, ask someone, and they'll, they'll point in the right direction. Awesome, Stu. Hey, thanks so much for this for your time. It's been really, really good. I will make sure that we have the links to your LinkedIn page, your website, and your email in, in the show notes. So if anyone has any questions about any sort of event cover they can contact you directly and you can help them out but again thank you so much for your time this has been a really valuable one for me and for all of our audience too so yeah have a great christmas and uh, an awesome new year's and see you next see you next time thanks man i appreciate that appreciate the time happy christmas everyone Merry christmas happy holidays and uh yeah hopefully 2022 is a, a better year